Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. So I'm with Ryan Atkins and Matt Murphy. And we've just, uh, we just decided to catch up with Ryan and uh, have had a great opportunity to get a hold of Matt as well. Uh, coming off the Spartan World Championships. And we want to have a little conversation about how all that shook out. And we have a lot of uh, really interesting things to talk about. Gentlemen, please say hello. Matt, you do it first. Hey there, guys. Good to be here. <laughs> hey, guys. It's Ryan. <laughs> okay, so just for everybody to know, we got a bit of a time lag. Not a problem. So, um, Matt, give the audience a sense of who you are and where you are and what's on your agenda in the short term. Okay, so uh, who am I? Well, um been racing, obstacle racing for ooh, about six years now. Um, probably best result would have been 2013 uh, Spartan uh, World Championships where I got second behind Hobie Cole. And since then, I've uh, been racing a lot in Australia and uh, not long had, ago had a, um, had a son. So life's been pretty busy, but it's to the point now where um, I'm able to actually get back into training pretty full on and um yeah aiming to yeah hopefully have a pretty big season next year and get over to the states quite a lot um and yeah we've got a little ryan john and i and uh, another gentleman eric have something going on a little later this year yes you do yes you do and uh ryan you and i spoke about this briefly last time we spoke on this show um, we weren't up to speed in respect to the other two candidates of your team for the world's toughest mutter, but here we are, Matt Murphy, live. He's part of the team. John Alban, part of the team. And Eric Batty was the gentleman's name that you told me was the other, the, other, uh, the fourth? Is that yeah, right? that's correct. Okay, cool. All right, so we've got us a team. And what are we, uh, we're about, uh, not, not that far out, right? That's coming up pretty quickly. But no, you guys, are you going to do the OCR World Championships in Ohio too? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to be in Ohio uh, in two weeks from now. So that should be fun. I'm looking at my Facebook page and there's a little oh, sign yeah, that says, 100%. yeah, I'm looking at a little thing that says nine days out. So you gentlemen are going to be, yeah. you're going to be racing independently, correct? For the OCR World Championships? Yeah, yeah. you know, you guys need to take the, the microphone like you do your races. Just get out in front, do your thing, and let whatever happens happen behind you. I was I was actually saying to, to John today. <laughs> Sorry, my. I Go was ahead. saying to John today how funny it is that um, between John, uh, Alvin, myself, and Matt, we're pretty much a third of the way around the planet away from each other. So uh, it makes for communications and time zones to be quite challenging. Oh, I would imagine. Yeah, so Matt, for you right now, it's, uh, what is it, early in the morning? Yeah, yeah, it's about 7 a.m. Okay, so um, you're just out of bed. And uh, uh, so, Ryan, you're up in Ontario, right? Ryan? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. So you're in Canada, he's in Australia, and I'm in California. Um, I, I don't know who won. I think it might be me. <laughs> 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 So anyway, you guys are going to be converging on uh, World's Toughest Mudder coming up as a team. You feeling pretty good about that, guys? Uh, I guess I'll answer, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling really good about it. I'm, I think I'm more excited this year for World's Toughest Mudder than I uh, have ever been. I think doing it in a team is going to be uh, an amazing experience, a lot of fun, and just, you know, you get to share the suffering, which is always a cool experience. Get to share the suffering. 
Nice. Yeah, okay. So, um, look, no, I'm really, I'm excited about it. I think, uh, I think um, it's really nice that I've actually, yeah, just started to find my legs um, pretty good, got some good miles in them and, yeah, I've never done World's Toughest Mudder and I think going out with John, Ryan and Eric, it's going to be really cool and, um, yeah, I think, you know, 12 hours will, will be okay, but the next 12 is going to set the, uh, set the men from the boys. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So before we get on to World's Toughest Mudder, I want to I want to visit what occurred this past weekend. Ryan, where did this guy Killian come from? Well, uh, I definitely knew of Robert. Um, the first time I raced with him was would have been at Palmerton, and um, I mean right away he kind of took off from the whole pack off the first time. So everyone was pretty aware that he was uh, no joke and a pretty strong athlete and. I think everyone just kind of thought he was going to come back um, to the pack, but then uh, it didn't really happen. And then, you know, after the, I think he, um, I ended up coming in first in that race. And then uh, the same thing happened in uh, the next NBC race that I was at, which I think was uh, New Jersey. And he was just really strong, and he finished. Um, he ended up finishing fourth, I think, in that race. But it looked like he was definitely in the forefront of my mind coming into the race and uh he's just a really strong athlete so he came out and uh he obviously won wow so i i was watching this thing unfold i mean i wasn't physically on the mountain but i was paying very very close attention as it was shaken out and i saw that this guy had a pretty decent lead on you getting up the mountain and i kept waiting for this thing to to subside and for you to make your move and try to take him out and it it doesn't it just wasn't happening right yeah, I mean, I think I was expecting a much longer race than what ended up happening. And I also, uh, I wanted to stay pretty steady and not kind of go too deep into the red line going up that first uh, big climb, which took like over an hour to get up. So I definitely stayed well within myself on that climb. And um, Robert and Cody were kind of out front. And I was hoping that there would be kind of more tough obstacles and more heavy carries coming down the mountain. Uh, and that was when I was going to kind of put in big efforts to try to close the gap, and it somewhat worked. I mean, I closed the gap from three minutes um, down. I caught Cody and passed him and closed it down to just over one minute and a few seconds on Robert, but um, it wasn't quite uh, enough by the finish line, which only took 2.25, I think, for uh, the winner. So everybody suggests it was a pretty fast race. Did you feel that? Yeah, I felt it was uh, really quick. I mean, there was pretty much nowhere on the course that you had to walk. It was all very runnable. Um, I don't think we ever got beyond a grade of, you know, 23 or 4% anywhere, going up or down. And um, so it was just, like, much more mellow than what uh, I was used to and what I was expecting. So if you would have had it your way, you would have liked a little bit more incline, a little bit more uh, treachery in the course? Yeah, for sure. Steeper, uh, more kind of bouldery, super technical running sections and more uh, more heavy long carries um, would have been what I would like to see. And you mentioned to me the other day that what you needed to do is lose a little bit of weight to beat this guy. Do you still feel like that's the issue? Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that I've kind of uh, struggled with for many years. And it's like, and not that I'm overweight, but it's just, uh, I kind of tend to pack on a bit more upper body mass than most endurance athletes and most uh, runners especially. So that's as soon as you start going uphill, having an extra 10 or 20 pounds even on these guys is a, a big disadvantage. And I think that's something that I need to address in the future. Yep. Well, what you, what you, you, but you, don't, you only weigh about 160 pounds, don't you, 165? Yeah, yeah, I'm right around there, between 160 and 165. Yeah, so what are you hoping to achieve? Are you thinking 150, 155? Yeah, 155, 150, something like that. I think uh, that'd, be, that'd, be, uh, that'd go a long way. Hmm, that's an interesting observation. I wouldn't have thought that would have been that much difference. I mean, from a standpoint of just caloric output, it, would, it just doesn't sound like it would make that much difference from an energy thing. Just You think it's a function of speed? Yeah, I think it's a function of speed when climbing because uh, it all comes down to power-to-weight ratio. Right. And um, you can only kind of 
maximize your engine so much until you uh, kind of reach that limit, a physiological limit that everyone has. So, Matt, let me ask you, heads up, you and Ryan, um, can you outrun him? <laughs> can I outrun him? Um, we, I don't, we've never had a, uh, I guess, a straight out flat foot race. Um, going up a mountain, going up a mountain, I'd say, uh, I'd say not over five thousand. Um, I don't know. What do you reckon, Ryan? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, there's only one way to find out in uh, the deserts of Las Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to get anything started. You're only allowed to put 100 feet into me, remember? Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, yeah, I, I could just see Ryan running away from me and saying, I beat you, I beat you, I beat you, and then lose the money. <laughs> I guess it comes down to that, right? So it's a matter of uh, pride more so than cash. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, Matt, after, uh, after we clock 100 miles uh, in the team event, we'll have a 100-meter uh, foot race after and see who uh, comes out on top. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Perfect. Perfect. How about to talk to me about uh, the other guy that we don't know, uh, Eric ba- uh, Batty, is it right? Let me, let me get it right. Is Eric Batty? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. His name's Eric Batty, and um, I've known Eric for many years. We used to race mountain bikes together. Um, we were always very kind of neck and neck in the mountain bike scene, and uh, he's just a total stud athlete. He's... Um, He's been running ultra marathons for, you know, six, seven years. He's actually the guy who got me into running. Um, he's uh, He works as an arborist now, so he literally carries around blocks of wood and chainsaws all day, every day. Uh, on top of that, he, um, he's from an extremely gifted uh, gene pool. His uh, sister is uh, pretty much the top female mountain biker in Canada, or in North America, actually, right now. And, um, yeah, he's done it all from, like, mountaineering, like, he, he'll rock climb in the 513 range, um, just, so he's got, pretty much got the entire package, and, uh, and I know he's been training, like, according to his wife, he's been training like she's never seen him ever train, so I think he's going to come to the start line absolutely raring to go. Wow. Wow, that should be interesting. Um, so John Albin, we haven't had a chance to get him on, you know, today, but um, he had a pretty good showing at World's Toughest Mudder as well. Excuse me, at World's Championships as well. Yeah, I, uh, I think John had a great race. He definitely, I think he came into the race um, not too hyped up about it, which I think was part of his plan um, to not kind of let it get to him. And because I remember him saying that the altitude was something that was at the forefront of his mind and he didn't want to go too hard. So I think to come out and still nab fourth with that kind of uh, handicapped and being totally unacclimated is a pretty impressive performance. Yeah, I thought he did great. And uh, I, get, I was excited about the race. I thought it was, uh, it was an interesting race all the way around. I thought that it was really interesting that this Zuzana came out of virtually nowhere on the American scene to to um, take first place over the women. I, I'm sure it was a bit of a shock for Amelia Boone and, and Rose Sinnott. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm assuming she's probably going to... I don't know much about this girl. Yeah. Well, that's what I said. Um, yeah. I don't think anybody uh, really knows that much about her. Um, I think she... Well, we kind of did some digging, and she's from a... A Nordic skiing background, um, and she went to the Olympics in '98 in Nagano for skiing for the Czech. And um, I think after 2001, she stopped skiing for health reasons and became a, a sports broadcaster in the Czech Republic. And it's pretty hard to find pretty much anything that happened related to her between 2001 and uh, 2015. <laughs> a little bit of a gap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, she was hiding. She was probably taking up residence somewhere in Ohio or something like that where nobody could find her and then just just appeared. Yeah, well, apparently she lives at uh, 12,000 feet of elevation, so that's uh, that's pretty high. Like, that's almost Sherpa high. That leaves Ohio out. Far out. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I got to tell you, I was surprised. I was, uh, and you know, I got a feeling, and I'm sure that you gentlemen will chime in and, and uh, uh, have something to say about this, but I think there's going to be a lot more of that type of thing going on. It's going to be these these blind sucker punches coming from who knows where out of some, you know, Eastern Bloc country or something where somebody just shows up and is hell to pay. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's a pretty interesting um i mean i was saying to Lindsay when we were talking about this that it's uh it's a pretty hard thing to do what uh, Susanna did just um i think the level of competition has really improved in the last few years especially uh on the woman's side and i mean a guy like max king came out to spartan worlds in uh last year 2014 and he was you know, top 20, and he's arguably, you know, one of the top all-round runners in North America, and so to, like, think of someone who could outrun even Max, you'd have to kind of go to maybe someone like Killian Yornay, and, um, <laughs> like, beyond that, I just don't, I find it hard to think that there's going to be someone who has Killian's level of running while still having the strength involved, so... It's pretty interesting to see that happen and see someone come out of nowhere who hasn't really had a history of race results in the last decade and uh, dominate the field. And, I mean, she dominated by around eight minutes uh, in that initial climb, which is over 10% um, aerobic capacity differential between her and, like, Lindsay, which is uh, pretty alien-like. It was pretty crazy. And incidentally, I did an interview this, oh, a few days back with uh, Leslie Patterson, the ex-Terra two-time world champion. And Leslie had intended to show up and race, but her shoulder just wasn't stable enough. She, you know, she had an accident uh, a while back and she uh, messed up her shoulder. She broke her hand, broke her wrist, still did a race and came in first with with her hand uh, was two weeks out of surgery and um, came in second overall with the men and she is just she's just been killing people uh, in this Xterra series and she's headed to to Maui for the world championships in November and I, I expect her to breeze through that but she was she was looking long and hard at getting involved in OCR and she's a tough tough uh, cookie for a female athlete. Yeah, that'd be cool to see. I think as the modalities in obstacle racing, like as Ryan said, with world championships this year, it was um, you know the the uh, carries weren't as heavy. It wasn't as technical as he thought. As obstacle racing, I think evolves um, rather than a mountain runner specifically being able to rock up and dominate. I think. Um, with the sport evolving and I guess the complexity of different obstacles and the demands that you actually need to train for specific things, whether it's, you know, massive amounts of grip strength or if it's huge amounts of balances, even if it's just carrying really heavy shit up a mountain. Um, I think that's where they possibly, someone that's just a designated mountain runner can't come in and dominate. Um, whereas I think maybe in um, Tahoe, you know, the way the course uh, was, if there was heavier stuff, then you never know, Lindsay uh, would have caught up a bit. What do you reckon, uh, Ryan? Yeah, I uh, I definitely think that, um, of course, the Tahoe definitely played to more of a runner slash ultra runner's uh, strengths than to someone who's been training for obstacles and for that uh, technical movement and motions and carries. Someone who's been training, you know, all year for that because... Uh, you know, I've seen the work Lindsay's put in, and it's all very specifically designed to make her a better obstacle racer. And and running is, you know, a massive component of that, but there's a lot of other things that go into it. And she wasn't really able to maximize, and neither was I, maximize on those strengths and uh, that technical proficiency on that course. But I guess that's also the beauty of Spartan Race, that... <laughs> You never know what you're going to get, do you? <laughs> no, you don't. Like, I was I was over here in Australia, and, um, you know, once I saw that it was a two-hour 20 race, I was like, man, not that at all that I would have um, 
taken it out or being near uh, John and Ryan in the form that I'm in at the moment, speed-wise, but I was under the impression that it would have been a three- or four-hour race, so, or three-and-a-half to four-hour race. So when I saw 220, I was like, man, I've got a good engine for at least an hour and a half, you know, right up the red line. So, you know, I might have got away with two hours. So I was kind of almost bummed that I didn't go over. Yeah. Well, it's one of those type of things. And it, what I was getting ready to say is that um, uh, I've been doing some stuff with Nicodemus Holland, who is a tremendous uh, ultra runner. And he told me, he said, I just did not have the anaerobic capacity to charge up those hills at the pace that everybody was running. He, and he was accustomed to being able to run at a pretty good clip over mountains long, but just finding that extra gear and on top of it dealing with obstacles, which he's not as accustomed to dealing with, it was just too much for him. He just, it, it just, it was just too much for him. So we're actually going to work on trying to get his anaerobic metabolism up and see if we can get him used to, you know, finding those extra gears that he's unaccustomed to dealing with in a 120, 100-mile race. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a very different energy system uh, trying to hit those efforts. And for myself, I find uh, I'm okay anywhere from like an hour to 24 plus, but um, anything under an hour is uh, kind of not my uh, wheelhouse. So it's I think it's something that any athlete, definitely any endurance athlete who's trying to excel at multiple distances will butt up against at some point. All right, so gentlemen, the the reason that I I reached out to you to get you on this show with me today was because I was very excited to see where it was posted on Facebook that you had released an online training app, or should I say just a training app for OCR. Yep. Yeah, so we, um, I'll, I guess, yeah, I'll take over. So um, yeah, we got together, I think, last March and April and, I'd been uh, sort of thinking about, you know, developing something in the OCR realm, and then I got to meet John and Ryan, and they stayed around uh, right near my house and at my place for sort of, I think, about 10 days or so, and we got talking about, you know, the, I guess, our own ethos of obstacle racing, and it just seemed to, it seemed to align the, the thought process, how we, how I guess we thought you should train for obstacle racing, and you know, over months and months of uh, work, yeah, we've come up with, um, I guess, version 1.0 and 2.0 will come, 3.0 will come, 4.0 will come, but um, I guess we wanted to get, you know, the initial versions out into the um, world wide web and, um, yeah, I guess, you know, in- inspire people to get, you know, fitter, faster, stronger and um, most of all, I think, educate them. I said to Ryan the other day, um, that a big thing that we don't realise is that we have all these golden crumbs that we take for granted and the way that we do specific movements, the way that we train, the way that we think, um, and we we don't publicise them enough. And I think people can get so much out of those golden crumbs and they just love them. I agree with you. Um, i, I got to tell you, uh, if I could just chime in here for a second, I'm a... I'm an observer. I'd like to believe myself to be kind of a fly on the wall. And I've been involved in sports performance for 30-odd years. I don't even know. I'm getting so old. It's just freaking crazy now. But um, I look at it. And and so, for example, in my own world, I write a program. uh, I wrote a book. But that's so yesterday. I mean, what's today is creating an app where there's some interaction where you can look at a video and watch somebody perform something and or learn a particular task and get that visual content and almost get a relationship through this medium that you don't get through a book, that you can't get through the written words. You know, you just having the ability to um, convey these messages in that format is genius. And I, I'll tell you what, I'm... I'm I'm very envious that you guys pulled this off because that's always been something that I'd like to do myself. Yeah, I think uh, to expand on what you're saying, I think what's really cool about the program and uh, what it kind of does is just how 
you sign up for it and then you have your program obviously and your training program but that's almost like to me that's kind of the the tip of the iceberg and what you're uh, getting because you're getting this access to this massive database of videos that we created where we yeah go through and we explain you know anything from running technique to how to do different types of intervals to how to go over obstacles and then on top of that you get access to our our training uh, myself John and Matt what we do every day uh, our weekly kind of training blogs and then it's kind of this interactive format, which I'm really happy about. And if anyone, and we encourage people to get on there and ask us questions because, you know, I'm, it's something that I do already. People ask me about training all the time, but to have this, uh, this database and this resource for people to come, uh, do their training. And then they can say, Oh, you know, like I did the training the first week. It went well. The second week it went well. And the third week I felt kind of flat and they can, you know, ask us these things, and then we can get back to them and tell them, you know, maybe why they felt that way or what they could try to change or, you know, this, that, or the other, and um, kind of build relationships and uh, build up the athletes from there. Because I think between John, um, Matt, and myself, we've got a lot of experience. Uh, and like Matt was saying, our philosophies are very similar in that, you know, most of the development is in running. It's not in going to the gym and doing CrossFit every day. It's you got It's a runner's game. You got to be a better runner to succeed at the sport. And then from there, there's little tweaks and little additions and uh, that you do in order to get the most out of yourself for the sport. So yeah, I'm just you know ecstatic about how it all turned out and how uh, I think how people are going to sign up and really get a lot from it. Well, I think the the the, the smartest thing that you did and you might be still biting your nails about it, is allowing people to sign up for a week at a time where there's really not much commitment in the, on their respect to get a taste and feel, you know, whether it's something that they want to do or whether they want to pursue it or not. And um, I think that uh, that's, that's a really smart way to do it. Don't get us wrong for a second. It's, it's, it's um, you know, obviously it's nice to possibly see some um see some money come in but at the end of the day the minimal fee it's all about you know i'm i'm paying a small amount to gr- to gain huge amounts of knowledge and you know yeah it's all good and well to earn a million dollars but you know charging five hundred dollars for a program that's definitely not uh, the angle that we wanted we thought you know yeah we've got some great knowledge but for a plethora a plethora of people to be able to know what we know then you know it's um you know, we want to be able to get that out to the broader community. That's the trick. Um, I think that if you have video clips that depict various things that you're teaching, that's going to go a long way for a lot of people because I've had people try to read my book and try to understand things I'm trying to explain to them, and I'll get people that get it and I get people that don't. But uh, being able to be visual with it and be able to show someone something uh, it's going to go a long way. It's going to be worth uh, a ton, as you suggested, for what you're offering. Do you, are you going to learn from each other on this? Yeah, yeah. I've already learned. Uh, I've already learned this morning. Uh, Ryan, did you know that John likes to go for long walks in the woods before a race? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I've got a race. Uh, I've got a race tomorrow. So. I'm thinking I'm going to go for a long walk in the woods if I can run as fast as John. <laughs> oh, my God. So what does he wear when he no, does this? Definitely, uh, definitely we'll learn. Sorry, definitely we'll learn off, uh, off each other, just even the time that, you know, John and Ryan were here. Um, you know, when Ryan talks about, you know, the, the importance of weight issue, um, you know, traveling uh, up hills at the moment, I'm trying to strip you know, probably about four to five pounds for um, World's Toughest Mudder because, you know, we've got to travel hopefully 100 miles and if I need to carry five pounds for potentially 140 to 150,000 steps, that that adds up really quick. Yeah, it sure does. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, uh, Matt, uh, what what is your diet like? Uh, you know, I don't want to go into a full-blown nutrition deal, but I'm just curious. Uh, number one, tell me you're not a vegan. No, no, not a vegan, not a vegan. Okay, good. And Ryan, you're not either, right? Nope. Good. No, I, uh, I eat meat. Good. 
So, I mean, good, meaning that that's, I would have preferred to hear you say that. But I have, uh, the reason I even brought it up is because I know that about three months prior to World Championships, Hunter texted me and said he's going vegan. And I was like, please say it's not so. But, you know, uh, after all that, he told me, well, he showed me uh, within day before, two days before the race, that his weight was down by, geez, he lost 15 pounds. And he had a pretty solid race, given that he hadn't been really competing in OCR for quite a long time. He, he had a solid race. I thought you were going to say... Yeah, I totally agree. I thought you were going to say, given that he hadn't been eating for the last year. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty much it. So, you know, I totally agree. I'd agree, Ryan, that uh, as soon as you start to eliminate so many things from your, from your diet, you know, when you do go vegan, the overall volume of food I guess it's almost like a natural curve, would you agree, Ryan, that you are going to lose weight because you physically can't put or you get physically tired of actually eating. Yeah, yeah, you actually get tired of yeah the digestion and the eating and the preparation and all that. But I, I think for, for someone like Hunter, it's going to be a pretty interesting experiment. Um, and I could have predicted that in the in the first you know two to six months that i thought his performance would probably increase on a diet like that but um i'm thinking that it'll be kind of interesting to see where he is in six eight ten months from now or a year from now uh in terms of his performance versus when he stopped because um those are kind of the timelines when you start you know becoming really uh low iron low red blood cells you're um your endocrine system can start kind of shutting down, and um, with the amount of volume that he's putting in, uh, it'll be interesting to see how all his adrenals hold up in that sort of time frame um, with the ongoing training and uh, ongoing vegan diet. Well, I can tell you where he's going to end up. He's going to end up in front of a steak. He, he's <laughs> he's going to give it up. <laughs> yeah. That's my guess. Buffalo wing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just think it would be really hard. And, you know, I, I've, uh, I've, I've done some stuff with Scott Jurek. And, you yeah. know, he's written a book on being a vegan and he's an ultra marathoner. And he's, he just got through running the Appalachian Trail. And I was giving him a hard time about not eating meat and, and just the sheer volume of food this guy has to consume because of the sheer volume of calories he expends when he's doing what he does. And he literally is putting down, you know, five to 6,000 calories a day when he's racing. And you almost have to put a feed bag on your face to eat enough vegetables to keep that going. Never mind the evacuation, right? Yeah. It's just painful to think about. Yeah. It does, <laughs> yeah. It does sound somewhat horrific. So I don't know. I, I, I just, you know, I, I, I've, I'm set in my ways. I've, I've always, I, I got away from eating red meat for about 17 years. And uh, I didn't do it by choice. I, I, got, I actually contracted typhus. And it was just kind of a weird thing. I almost died from it. And, and uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't digest anything. I couldn't put anything in my stomach. I lived on, it seemed like I lived on watermelon and cottage cheese for about, uh, yeah, it was terrible. For about about four months, I think it was, that I, that's the only thing I could digest. I lost a lot of weight, and um, but I just never went back to red meat for a long time because people told me that it was rough on the joints. And whether that's true or not, I didn't know. But, you know, back in the day, I didn't know any better. I just said, okay, fine, I didn't eat it. Um, but I'm, I'm proud to say that uh, years since, I've, I've found... There's nothing more um, rewarding to me than to show up at a Mastro Steakhouse and get a really, really nice cut of steak with a beautiful glass of wine. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. That's, uh, that's good living. <laughs> Just had to say it. So um, how is it How's it going since, I mean, I know it's really, really early, but have you been getting a lot of traction from the training program, people hitting you up for it? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty solid. Yeah, I think it's going really well. Um, I think it's going better than I would have expected, being that we haven't done too much uh, for promoting in like large channels yet. Um, 
just kind of word of mouth and our own kind of uh, followings. There's seeing a lot of people signing up, which is awesome. Great. That's awesome. I think um, the biggest thing was a bit of a softer launch to uh, to start, just in case, like any like any big project, uh, Richard. That you know, we admit we'll have teething problems, and you know, we're not uh, we're not absolutely absolute geniuses. So we want to make sure those teething problems happen with you know somewhat limited people, rather than a huge amount of people coming on board and uh, having any problems. You know. Maybe a certain video doesn't work. Maybe you know a certain link doesn't work, and we want to tidy all those things up early. You know. Well, the other way to look at it is, if you had a lot of people and you're doing a lot of cash, then you have the money to fix the problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also we, we don't want a lot of disgruntled uh, disgruntled participants. I guess. No, I understand. I do understand, and I again, I I was envious to see it because I think that's the wave of the futures. It's going to be uh, as simple as creating this content. And I know that it, that's not easy. And I was surprised when, Ryan, you told me that you guys have been working on it for about seven months. I, I would have thought it would have taken, taken longer to, to get to a launch with, with content like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, just that simple, huh? It didn't take much, much process. I mean, how many videos do you actually have that are up on the site today that – I could kind of thumb through and look at different techniques and what have you. Uh, at the moment, I think there's 70, 70 all up right now, and I think by World's Toughest Mudder, I think we're looking at well over 100. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of content. Yeah. It's, especially if it's... Yeah, it's solid, you know, like... Um, yeah, it's, it's solid, and I think the hard thing is, is that um, not so much... It's thinking of the content sometimes because, as I said, we take for granted so many things. And one of the marketing guys that's involved with it, he hits me up every day with new little ideas um, that, you know, I either forward on to John or Ryan that, oh, you should do this, you should do that. And I'm like, really? Like, you think that would work? And it's like, oh, okay, maybe people would want to know that. So thinking of the content and having someone like Ben, who's one of the marketing guys, um, I guess, think from third-person perspective is really good because, you know, he gives that thing that he thinks this is what people would want to know. And that's an interesting point. And what I would be curious to know, and I thought about this question earlier, is that you guys at the level that you compete at and you race at and train, you get somebody that's going to be a beginner into the sport. Um, how did you approach that? I mean, do you did you speculate as to what would be a reasonable amount of volume to take on initially, um, what exercises they should take on initially. What, what was your thinking about developing a beginner program? Okay, so uh, the beginner program, I guess it is, I think, um, to eliminate any assumptions, is it's really hard to think, I guess, massive spectrum as what is a beginner. I guess uh, in the mindset of so many people, a beginner is some, something different. So... I thought I looked at like a, a couch to 5K situation, a, a true beginner, but not only that, thought about uh, with Glenn Fitz, who's the movement and strength specialist um, within the program. Um, I've got him on board for his advice, and the, the biggest thing was creating a strong foundation to move forward to 2.0. So the beginner program, yes, they're going to do some miles on the legs around, I guess, kilometre-wise. It's only about 30 kilometres a week. So that's 20, uh, 20 miles, uh, 18 miles a week. So it's not huge volume on the legs, um, but creating a strong foundation that after a month, they've actually created some stability and strength through the body that they can move on to 2.0 of the program so that they are not getting injured. So a beginner could come in that someone that's run a few races and has a few kilometers in their legs and the running won't, component won't be as hard, but the gym component They'll be like, oh, okay, cool. So I'm, I'm doing a row for this reason. I'm doing, you know, a lateral lunge or a curtsy lunge for this reason to, you know, strengthen glute med so that when my foot plants the ground, I have good hip stability and hip strength so that my knee doesn't collapse and I won't have either ITB problems or lower shin pain potentially. Okay. Good thinking. I posted yesterday, a uh, day before yesterday, I shared it with Ryan. I posted an article I wrote about injuries associated with OCR and more specifically ankle injuries because I'm seeing a whole lot of people 
spraining their ankles. And I would like to believe that a lot of it has to do with uh, what we refer to as movement accuracy. I was sharing this with Ryan again just yesterday. And the, the concept of movement accuracy is having this uh, relationship with ground contact when you're running. And where I find, for whatever it's worth, since you didn't ask, I'll share anyway, what I find interesting about a lot of programs, and I think is a flaw in a lot of program development, is that very few coaches that are working with running look at movement early on as a principal concern. They are more concerned with volume being lighter and then lighter intensity and then progressively increasing volume then progressively increasing intensity. And people don't tend, in my opinion, to get hurt early in a program when the volume is low and the intensity is low. But they get they finally get to a place where they're strong enough to hurt themselves because they're taking on more work and they're taking on more intensity, but they've carried the flaws from the early stages of their training into the, the, the moderate stages of their training, and they, they start to hurt themselves at that point in time. So do you address running mechanics anywhere along the way in your program? Do you want to get Ron? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I read your article, Richard, and I... Uh... I think like the movement accuracy and precision and like how you move is uh, massively important in running and um, negating injuries. But uh, also kind of on the flip side with what you're saying uh, in terms of increasing volume and um, uh, minimizing injury, I think that there's kind of a, it's almost inevitable that people are going to get injured. Um, at some point, just because, like, you look at the top, the top runners in the world who have, you know, some some of these people have like amazing form, and as they as they increase their volume, um, they get injured, and you know whether that happens at 60 miles a week, at 30 miles a week, or at 150 miles a week, like it's I think, uh, I think at some point, the increase in volume is just gonna have. Uh, an effect on some muscle that's not as strong as another muscle or some joint that's not quite, you know, aligned perfectly because uh, human bodies are imperfect machines. But in in the program, um, I know there's videos where we address uh, running form and things like that, but ultimately that's kind of where something like this uh, becomes a lot more difficult because, like, if someone gets really injured, like injured from running, um, like the, I, I usually kind of go, go through my uh, litany of experience and, um, you know, oh, are you doing this exercise to combat this issue and are you doing that to combat this issue? But uh, neither of any of us are, you know, physiotherapists or doctors. So ultimately having someone look at their, uh, have the gait analyzed, analyzed, and um, going and seeing a physio or um, whoever they need to go and see to have the problems rectified, like, that's a real concern. And uh, I think it would be almost impossible to accomplish that online. Um, no, there's no question. Properly. So I think uh, within, within there, um, as, as Ryan said, you know, it's, it's hard when you're working on, I guess, a web-based program that it's not completely individualized to someone's strength and weaknesses and different uh, mobility flaws. But the biggest thing was that I focused on which people get wrong. So whether it's low hips, you know, uh, don't not heel strike, torsal twist, arm carry, um, really thinking about getting that foot under the hip uh, when, you know, when striding. And... Um, but I think it also, you know, I train, you know, quite a lot of athletes back here and I tell them every session that I see them, stand tall, relax. You all right there, Ryan? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I think he threw up just a little bit. Stand tall, relax. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, unless you're, I guess, looking at a client slash athlete all the time and that whole 10,000 hours thing, like even myself, when I get tired, my... Um, my ground transfer time increases, you know, well up over, you know, 260, 270. 
and I really need to focus about getting that ground transfer time down. And unless you've got that embedded in your brain, which we do talk about, you know, a big thing that's in the program is um, having a metronome on you because I think that's one of the easiest cues that people can work off. If they've got that higher stride rate, then their ground transfer time is less and less ground transfer time means less energy from earth traveling through the body and having to expel itself through one of the joints, whether that's ankle, knee or hips. Um, and having that metronome um, app that would make sure that people need to download to get that stride rate uh, increase, hopefully we can negate a lot of injuries right there. Well, there's no question I'm a, I'm a huge fan of using a metronome with my runners. And I, I force them. I, I tell them all the time that training and racing is not the same thing. I don't care if you have to wear a space helmet if it's going to provide you with information that's going to help you to train better so that you can race better. And I get resistance from people having to carry a phone, which is going to carry their app to give them the metronome or what have you. But uh, absolutely, everything you just said uh, it resonates very, very strongly with me. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. It really is good stuff. And I agree with you. It's really difficult um, to take a, a global program like that and deal with specific nuances that people are contending with in their day-to-day unless you have contact with them. Or, you know, in my world, what I do is I have people send me video of the way they're moving, and then I go through an analysis, and then I send the analysis back to them, and then we spend some time on the phone, and we talk about the things I see and the things I want them to do. Then I make them follow up with another video so we can see whether they're having progress, sometimes maybe two or three uh, follow-up videos so that we could finally get to it because I'm not physically there to see what they're doing, and it makes it very, very hard to, to coach them where, for example, this weekend we're doing a clinic where I have um, – Nick is uh, involved, Nick Collin, and uh, uh, Miguel Medina is going to be there as well. They're actually coming over tomorrow night. I'm going to make them drink alcohol before they show me how well they can run. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is is that we we're, the whole focus of the, the clinics that I do is to take into account the way we're moving, the flaws that we create, and how to get as near to perfection as possible with, with what we're doing and at least have an understanding of what we're trying to achieve. And as, as Ryan suggested, that we are not machines and that we have imperfections and we're subject to injury. And it really boils down to what we talked about very, very briefly and earlier is that it's a function of strength to weight ratio. Yeah, uh, anybody that you know has a point where the volume and intensity will overcome them relative to how strong they are relative to their mass. So uh, it, it, we just need to be as impervious as we possibly can relative to our circumstance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, um, that's one thing that we cover in the program is that you know, one of the videos is that understand your limits. So you've taken up the advanced program. So the advanced program has some decent intensity and some decent mileage in there. But the biggest difference there is staying consistent with how the running is structured. So if you can only do eight 400s, because that's where you feel up to, but there's 12 400s program, you need to understand where you're at. So rather than doing the full volume, keep the intensity of the program, but just cut the volume down a touch. And that's, you know, you put that back on, I guess, the client or the participant slash athlete a little bit, that they need to understand that this is designed for an advanced athlete, but you can still use, I guess, the way that the program's structured uh, to what your level is at, but you just slightly decrease volume. Yep, makes perfect sense. So let's talk about how people find this program. www.obstaclecourse.training training. How novel. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> you guys must have really... Would, you. <laughs> You guys must have pulled your hair out coming out with that name, haven't you? <laughs> no, it's perfect. Actually, you, it works, it works. No, it's perfect. It's actually perfect. You know, it's like uh, the ABCs of marketing where the web is concerned is to allow your eagle to fall to your side. Uh, the, the principal mistake that most people make is they want to include their name in the URL, and nobody knows who the hell you are. And unfortunately for me, I found out about six years into my my website being up that it was a bad idea. 
But everybody know if they if you Google obstacle race training, they're going to find you right up on top. That was genius. I mean, I'm making fun of it, but it was actually genius. When are you guys going to get out to the West Coast? I'm obviously going to be very near it. You're going to get to Las Vegas very soon, but you got to get out to California. I'd like to hang out with you a little bit, maybe share some thoughts. Cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's on my list, Richard. I'll uh, I'll make it out there sooner rather than later. After World's Toughest Mudder, if we come up uh, with the bacon, you never know where we're going to end up. Right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we might end up in we might have to end up in Dubai for a week after that. <laughs> yeah. You, you get $25,000 in each of your hot little hands, it's going to be really tough to go back home, huh? <laughs> and I think it's interesting that they no, do... It won't last long in Vegas, though, Rich. I was going to say, it's, I was just going to say, it's interesting that they do that in Vegas, right? Just what you needed. Yeah. yeah. Right to the casino. Yeah. Let's double it up. Yeah. You know, twenty five k on black, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's uh, that's about being uh, you know a, a thrill seeker and a competitive athlete. You know, you just just put it on black or put it on uh, on the, uh, the the pass line, right, at the crap table. <laughs> well, fellas, uh, it was an entertaining conversation, and I know that we had a little bit of bump and grind with the uh, the lag time. Once again, I'm going to say thank you, gentlemen, for sharing some time with me and your pearls of wisdom. And I wish you the best of luck with your program, and I certainly wish you all the best of luck in the world's toughest mutter. Awesome. Thanks so much, uh, Richard. And, um, yeah, I'll see you soon. And for anybody out there who forgot the really hard-to-remember URL, it's www.obstacleracetraining. Obstaclecourse.training? Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.